with my friend Raven Metzner, uh, but she was also on Leverage. She was also on Leverage. Yeah. I'm here with Albert Kim on Word Tetris, and we were just discussing how I'm slowly making my way, making my way through the uh, the Leverage writers room, before, which is now which birthed just the amount of talent when you look back on it that passed through that room is insane. Right. right? It was great. Because yeah. now let, let's run through the list. John is now running King Killer. John Rogers, John yes, yes. King Killer. Right. Chris Downey is currently serving as an executive producer on Unsolved. Right. Um, you have a pilot um, in development at NBC, at uh, Warner Brothers for NBC just after coming off show running Sleepy Hollow for two years. Right. Uh, Amy Berg uh, co-show ran Counterpart, Counterpart with J.K. Simmons. Um, Christine Boylan is currently doing a painkiller change uh, movie with Jessica Chastain mm-hmm. and just and wrote and wrote and served as co-EP on Punisher. Right. She's on all the Marvel shows. Yeah. And yeah. that is she? Yeah. She also was on uh, Cloak and Dagger for uh, in between Punisher seasons. Oh, shit. I didn't know yeah. That. So Punisher. And then before that, oh, it's not Marvel, but she was on um, she Hellblazer. Was on Constantine. Yeah. Constantine. Um, yeah, so like, and those are the ones I can remember. Those are the names I can remember. Yeah, and then there Melissa Glenn and Jessica Reeder. They were a team then. They write separately now. They all, they're also doing great. Scott Veach uh, was on. There was a there were a number of writers who went through during the various seasons. So and it's, they've all done terrific. So it's fucking it's fucking insane. So Albert Kim is on the show, and Albert, we're catching you at a fascinating time. Because you are in the midst of, by the time this goes out, you will have heard one way or the other, but you're currently waiting to hear if your pilot is going to get picked up. That's right. Uh, Greenland. Right. And so you're going through the insane process of writing the script, sending it off to the studio, then sending it back with, here are our notes, going back again. So you're in a perfect mode right now to discuss the art of rewriting. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> if I can keep a clear head about it. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the process? Rewriting? Or do, you, or do you view it as just a necessary process? It's hard to say that I enjoy it or don't enjoy it. It is part of the process. It's, it's I don't really separate it out as something different. It's something that happens. And also there's a difference between... Uh, I don't know whether you mean rewriting my stuff or rewriting other people's stuff. Well, we can do both, but we'll start with, let's keep it focused on the pilot for right now. Right. Well, again, I sort of view it all along a continuum. It's not like um, uh, there's a separate rewriting process, except for that point when you get notes from Studio Production Company Network, and then you've got to, you know... Well, let's let's start there. Let's talk about addressing notes. Mm -hmm. Because... Oh, and by the way, before I continue, I should say... The first 20 minutes of the episode will be available for free. If you want the full episode with Albert Kim, head over to patreon.com slash wordtetris. Sign up for the $1 an episode tier. Uh, and if you like that, sign up for the $3 episode tier. You'll get a bonus episode we'll record in a little bit. Um, and go to twitter.com slash wordtetris. If you want to follow us on Twitter uh, or me on Twitter. I don't know why I said this. It's a, it's a royal us. <laughs> um, uh, and you can go to... Uh, 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 my Twitter, twitter.com slash Merrill Bart, M-E-R-R-I-L-L-B-A-R-R. And Albert, quickly, what's your Twitter? I'm at Magic Branch. At Magic Branch. All right. So, and by the way, I was watching, I I, try, I started watching Leverage finally. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where your face pops up. No, Magic Branch. 
they're like if they're making a movie. I think movie. I used it in some, and, some screen that, or something, yeah. Is that where it came from or you would just... You no, no, no. That was already the name of my loan ad company. So I, I needed something, some placeholder for a screen. So I was just laughing. I was just laughing. It was, just it was your episodes. So yeah. I was just yeah. like, ah, oh, just popped cute. it in there. Yeah. So anyway, back to the notes process. Let's talk about the notes process. Let's talk about sure. the studio notes process because I think a lot of young writers are very curious about that because they all... It's, it's painted in such a dark light uh uh-huh. it's hell it sucks is that true you know as with everything there's parts of it are true parts of it aren't it's all a matter of how you approach it because it's going to happen you have to learn how to deal with it you have to learn how to react properly and that's one of the things i find that uh beginning writers often um don't quite know how to do is they take offense at um at notes because you know when you first hear notes from a studio or a production company or a network it feels like the underlying message is you did this wrong and so it feels like an assault on your ego mm-hmm. or like on your or possibly your talent or your intelligence that you know they're telling you you didn't think of this version why didn't you do this version but that's not what it is you know the thing that you have to realize about getting notes from a studio, from anyone from the outside, is they're giving you their fresh perspective. A lot of times, and that, that's what the, this works into the whole discussion of rewriting, you get so into your head when you're writing anything that it's very easy to lose perspective. So that experience of having fresh eyes is crucial. Um, now, notes is the process by which you get it from someone else, someone else's fresh eyes. Uh, to me, rewriting is somehow getting those fresh eyes for yourself, you know, and so that's very difficult. Time away from it. Time is one way to do it. I mean, you don't always have that luxury. I mean, ideally, well, you write something I've, and you put it in the drawer for a few weeks. I've wrapped my brain around that a lot because I full, I truly do not, I can't comprehend. It's like, what's the other ways to get fresh eyes other than to wait, it, let time do its thing? Yeah, this is like um, a little trick I try. It doesn't always work. It's about moving yourself into a different headspace. And one way I, I do that is I imagine myself as basically someone else. So I'll, like, I, after I've written a draft, I'll go, all right, how would my mom read this? Mm-hmm. You know, I try to imagine, like, my mom, and I'll try to read it as if my mom was reading it. I'm like, well, she wouldn't understand this reference. She wouldn't understand this reference. My mom is one person. But, like, how would my agent read this? And I know what his tastes are. Like, so that usually it's people you know fairly well, and you know how they would react to certain things. And that can help. That can, that can by putting yourself into the viewpoint of someone else. No, one's, no, one's, no one has actually brought that up yet, so I want to stay here for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're still you. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people are, I'm going to try and ask the questions that a lot of people are probably would want to ask as follow-up, which is that you're still you, and so now you should fight your... You're, it almost sounds like you're advocating to fight with yourself because it's funny it's not like fighting with yourself when I start to read something and I'm in the uh, I get into the mindset of someone else and again it should be someone that you have a fairly good idea of what their reactions will be like say my agent say the executive I work with um, or someone uh, completely outside of the field like I said my mother you know and I know uh, and it's interesting what will happen you should try it you'll, you'll sit there and go like oh she's totally not going to get this reference and then you got to step back a little bit and go well does that matter you know um, but when you when you put yourself into the headspace of say your studio executive you go, oh I know how she's going to react to this so um, 
it's it's a it's a neat little trick to try, um, and it kind of it helps a lot when you go over material that you've been working over for a long period of time. Advice I got once from uh, Sean Ryan was, "You're a TV critic. Read the script like you're critiquing the show, right? And find every single plot hole you would poke at. It's basically the same concept. It's like you are now stepping into someone else's shoes and reading this as if it were." You were that person, mm-hmm. um, and and that can help. It's sort of a related idea, not quite the same, but um, something I was thinking about recently is, you know, at a certain point when you're um, running a show, you're going to have to rewrite other people, right? And uh, it can be fairly extensive. Um, I've always found that rewriting others was a lot easier than rewriting yourself, and there's various reasons for that. You're mm-hmm. not, you haven't, you know, struggled and agonized over that work that as the writer has. But it's also, there's something psychological going on when you know that uh, it's not your name on the script. That's, I mean, and that's not to say, uh, well, maybe it is. I mean, you sort of give yourself the liberty to be a little looser with your own internal standards and rules, Mm -hmm. in a way. It's like, uh, when I'm rewriting someone else's work, and even if it's a page one rewrite where you're looking at a blank page, um, I'm okay with being, this is going to sound bad, a little hackier in, in doing something. That's not to say it'll end up the final product will be hack work, but um, stuff that I would stop myself from doing, and this is all at a very, very kind of below conscious level, um, I'm okay with doing when I know it's someone else's name on it. Mm-hmm. And then you go by and, re- and then that gets you through things a lot faster. When you say hackier, do you mean taking some of the artistry out of it and going more mechanical just being like I'm not going to be subtle here this is what needs to happen a little bit yeah a little bit I mean there's stuff that you know when you're writing for yourself you'll write something and go that's way too on the nose uh, let me figure out how to how to rework that and then when you're rewriting and this also goes to the um, just to the, sort of the practicality of when you're rewriting something on a, on a show in production you just have to move really quickly you will go to that on the nose version I mean, then, here's my here's my honest to god question: Is what in obviously that you want subtlety in the end product, mm-hmm. but on the page, mm-hmm. why do we fight being explicit so hard? Like we're not writing novels; mm-hmm. we're writing scripts. And I, as I spent a lot of the last season of this show saying, and a lot of my guests were saying as well. Scripts are not meant to be read, mm-hmm. except by the people who are supposed to read them. Who gives a flying fuck if you are being super explicit in the script? Because then at least everyone's on the same page, right? Right. Everyone is on the like. Why is it considered bad writing? And like, you know, if, yeah, in a novel, maybe different conversation. But in a script, why is it such so blasphemous to just? Frankly, just be very explicit. Then every single person who reads that is on the same page. You know what you're ex- you're shooting for, and then the end product ends up with the subtlety you want. Right. Well, part of it has to do with craft. You know, part of you you don't want to be. Uh, you're always fighting the familiar when you're mm-hmm. writing. So um, you don't want to write a scene where anyone reading it or watching it uh, knows exactly how something is going to go. So you're, you're, you're fighting against that. And the other thing has to do with just trying to, um, especially with dialogue, replicate how things work in real life. In real life, when two, when someone, let's say you have a scene where one character has to go and apologize to the other character. Mm -hmm. It's pretty rare in real life where that goes 
hi, you know that thing I did? I'm sorry, right. you know? Right. That's the on the nose version, right? Instead, in real life, it'll be like, hey, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, you know about that? I know. I, you know, there's a lot of talking I around. There's a lot that of that for dialogue, but yeah. everything else, it's like. Are you talking in the action lines? Actually, I mean, I'm thinking overall. Dialogue, obviously, you would never go explicit mm-hmm. on dialogue, but everything else, like, how many times have you gotten a script where it just feels like such a mess because they're trying to, the writer's trying to be subtle? In every aspect besides, like the dialogue, yeah, go, go subtle on the dialogue because that's the only part of the script the audience ever actually experiences directly. It's not just about the subtlety of it. It's the way that uh, a scene, and I'm talking about dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, the scene hits you as a reader or as a viewer when uh, a writer figures out that unconventional way to do it, like I said, like with the example of an apology, when I read a script where a scene where a writer has figured out a way to make that feel real and I guess subtle, but um, it hits you much harder. It hits you with much more um, emotion than someone who comes out straight out on the nose and says that. So so you still have to worry about the reader then, is what you're saying, as a a screenwriter. Yes. You do have to worry about the reader. But but at what stage? Like spec script, I'd say you have to worry about the reader. Competition draft, you have to worry about the reader. If you're staffed on a show... In production, you mean? Yeah. Do you have to worry about the reader at that point? You do at a certain point because because you are still, you're, like you said, you're going to get studio notes and you're going to get network notes. And those are completely dependent upon uh, on the read, not necessarily what they see on screen. And then you'll get a whole different set of notes after you shoot the thing and then mm. they see it and then they'll see how their notes made no sense in that script. But um, yeah, you still have to worry about how it reads. Now, that said, when you're writing something that's meant for production, there are things you can get away with in the action lines um, that you probably wouldn't for a writing sample or for competition drafts. Um, uh, stuff like character descriptions. You probably don't have to spend a whole lot of time uh, in uh, something you're writing for a show in production because either those characters will have been established or um, a lot will change when casting happens. Uh, but a lot of people spend a lot of time focused on characters' descriptions when they're writing for their own stuff, for their own samples. Because that you can tell a lot by how a writer treats those. Um, I just remember going along something like that for a second. It's like I remember I struggled with... I got to a point in the last year where I started trying to figure out what is the best one-word description for a character mm-hmm. in the script. Even though... That's not typically how it's done for like a spec. Like my favorite one is a a thing I just wrote, um, this new thing, and I have two characters. They're soldiers, and so the way the description goes is meet X, uh, meet meet first character in parentheses. It goes uh, brick shit house, uh-huh, and right. then cut to and then the second then introduce the second character and it goes less bricks. <laughs> I was like, and I thought that's a really cute, interesting way sure. to describe who these people are because I think it gets it's it's like you can by I'm relying on the reader's um, instincts to go okay I know these people are soldiers so I have an inherent idea of what that is so I kind of only have to tell you so you, I only really need to know what this person looks like you know I say brick shit house you immediately get an image in your mind of what that person looks like mm-hmm. yeah and it's like. Okay, and I feel like, you know, because that was not the way the character was originally described. They were originally like age, I was originally like age and, you know, fucking, you know, the, the, the somber or whatever, whatever. I don't even remember what the adjectives were at this point. 
But it's like ultimately I just realized a lot of rewriting a lot of rewriting for me these days is coming down to Condensing. I, condensing. Right. Exactly. Like, it, like, and it's not just condensing, but for me, it's been a, once I start condensing is where a lot of things suddenly start to fall into place. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the main process of revision is you're, um, condensing, compiling, um, getting rid of all that's extraneous, getting rid of, because in that first draft version, a lot of what you're doing is writing out kind of your thinking process mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And then when you go back through it, you, you start to realize, well, all of this is not necessary. All of this setup is not necessary. And you start condensing and condensing. And that's really the process of, of rewriting for me. And uh, it, that's true both in terms of the dialogue and the action lines as well. Like you said, with the character descriptions, you figure out that you know a two-line description may not be necessary. Mm-hmm. And if you can get it down to that one word, it's fine. A lot of that will also be dependent upon how prominent that character is. You know, Your lead character may require a little more than that. Characters are kind of... That was the lead character. That's fine. The other thing is, you know that you're going to be spending a lot of time talking about this person's characteristics as you go along as well. So um, you may not need to set up a whole lot more than that in in your initial scene. The the other thing I discovered with this one, this is a brand new one I haven't discussed yet on the show, but uh, it came off lessons I learned off recording the last batch of episodes was a lot of writers had the dude was doing this thing that I started calling rewriting before writing. Basically rewriting the outline over and over again until you, and then jumping into the draft. This script was the first time I actually outlined properly. I'd never done a proper outline before. I I always had card notes on a board, mm-hmm. right, and moving the cards around, and I was like, "That's my outline." No, it's not. Mm-hmm. I, this was the first one where I wrote a prose-driven outline mm-hmm. that was twelve pages long, and when I did that, I discovered so much freedom in. I was able to rewrite without worrying about things. Right. It just it's it really takes the weight off of here's the first draft of the of the outline. I go, oh, we'll move this here, move this here, we'll kill this. This is useless. You know, just you know, throwing things out, moving things around. Right. Because it's just a prosy text document. Uh huh. It's not intimidating like a script, which I found fascinating. Yeah, and then there's also the difference between a beat sheet and an outline, and I think. There's some hybrid common, you know, we used to call those things beat lines, which are in between. But I always find when I get into trouble on a story, because the outlines I do tend to be fairly detailed. Mm -hmm. They'll be uh, down to some dialogue in there. Uh, Lots of uh, description uh, can be 12 to 15 pages. Um, And that can get pretty close to what you're thinking about for script. And so you can get lost in the weeds a little bit there. So sometimes I'll pull back from there and then reduce all those outline scenes into the individual beats, which is a two-line description of the scenes. I had started going that way Mm -hmm. of starting to put dialogue in it. And I was like, okay, I need to make myself a hard and fast rule right now that, number one, anything that I am – so, like, I would start writing a dialogue. Uh, and I would go, okay, the only way I'm allowed to do this is to keep it in prose form and write character says, and in quotations, what they say instead of outlining it like this, right, 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 right. which then allows me to condense again, throw away the dialogue that I was, had started putting in and then sort of just being like, this is the conversation. Here's a handful of lines that you know you want, but other than that, just fuck don't like, cause I found that I, when I got to the script, First draft, and this may, but maybe this is a good thing to some people. Maybe it's not. Fifty-seven pages in five days. Wow. Yeah, because I was.
To hear the rest of this episode, head on over to patreon.com slash wordtetris.